Well, greetings, Imagination Connoisseurs. Once again, it is I, your Duke of Dope Discourse, your master of fun and wonder. Call me whatever you want. Robert Meyer Burnett. This is issue six of the Weekly Hero. But you know what? You didn't come to see me. You came to see my lovely cohort, my partner in crime, a superheroine without without compare, Aww. Chris Carr. Thanks, Rob. People come to see you, though. You are the Duke of Dopeness. You know all the things. I think that you have a port into the Internet. Uh, I, am, am I someone's four-color fantasy? Probably. Uh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Of course, does anyone read anymore? A lot of us do. A lot of us are still literate. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I like that. <laughs> well, this is... This is the Weekly Hero, Issue 6. We talk about superheroic stuff of the week. And you actually have a very interesting topic, our first topic, that comes from your world, uh, the video game Bayonetta. Who, yes. And I've discovered the main character is also named Bayonetta. And there is controversy over the new iteration. Is it the new release? The latest of the game? installment in the franchise, right? So Helena Taylor has been the voice of Bayonetta in the English version since we started getting it. And she is who the fans know as the voice of their witchy bullet wielder, all right? And she does a fantastic job. Now, she took to Twitter earlier in the week to talk about how she was given a really, really lowball offer, frankly, something that sounded very insulting, where she was going to be offered $4,000 for the entirety of her vocal performance for this latest installment. Now, we talked about this on the main show. That might seem like a big number, right? $4,000 payday, that sounds great. But when you think about making $4,000 for a game that is going to make millions, millions of Tens dollars. Tens of millions, probably. Absolutely. And is an incredibly successful franchise that she's been a part of and a very, very integral part of for years. That's a very low brow number, right? Because we also have to remember that you don't get residuals in video games. Now, certainly some actors could negotiate to get things, you know, after the game is released, maybe get a cut from the actual sales or things, but that's not typical. You usually just get this flat rate free fee for your time in the booth. Now, it has come to light that, or I say come to light, it is possible that there is some miscommunication happening here because the developers are saying, no, no, that's not what we offered, Ms. Taylor. What we offered was 4K per recording session. Now, Taylor claims that she broke her NDA to discuss this with the fans asking them to boycott the game and instead take their money and donate it to charity. There has been a recasting with Jennifer Hale. Jennifer Hale, most of you will know as Commander Shep from the Mass Effect games. Phenomenal voice actress, incredible. She also has uh, signed an NDA about her pay rate, her performance issues, all of those things. And she said that so far everyone has been working, you know, with a lot of integrity and everything and to keep that in mind. So it's hard to say where this issue actually falls, but a couple of you have written in about this and I wanted to talk about it with you, Rob, too, of how often voice actors are really kind of given the lowest pay for a performance that is really one important to this medium and two i think is such a growing medium you know we're not only adapting from video games too but they are so cinematic they are such incredible theatrical performances now and i'm hoping that this is opening up a bigger discussion for consumers for you know sag aftra for producers of these games to start looking at what they are paying their performers when you hear all of that, what do you think about this issue? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's 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 not unlike what happened on the 60s sitcom Bewitched, where 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 uh, Darren Stevens was just replaced midstream. Dick Sargent became Dick York mm -hmm. or something like that. People are going, what? Anyway, now, the, here's the thing. I know that when I have anything, whether it's a video game, whether it's an animated series, I do appreciate voice continuity. Because just like when you're watching a movie, 
there's a familiarity. And when you're with a with a, a, a character in a video game, you're with them for many, many hours usually if it's a long-form game. And changing up the voice actor seems to me to be – I mean, look, on one hand – I want to I would want to maintain the integrity of of the game, the character, the franchise. I don't like the idea that performers are so easily disposed of. I don't like that. Because you know that a performer anybody what any actor puts a lot of themselves into whatever part they're playing whether it's on screen or if it's just a voiceover. I don't think people get any less invested in it as performers. I mean, you certainly don't. You can speak to that yeah. as a voice voiceover actor. I mean, I really, I, I don't understand why this has to happen in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point? I would think if you have a successful video game franchise, why not treat it like any other successful franchise? Pay the quote unquote face of your franchise what they're worth. Exactly. They're a part of the success. And I completely agree with that. And I, again, there is a lot of that's not what's happening. No, this is what's happening. It's a very big he should she said kind of situation. But I do think this just kind of harkens back to a core issue when it comes to voice actors is that so many voice actors get lowballed. They right. really, really do. And they are treated like replaceable commodities. You look at what happens to dub actors here in the States, too, of, you know, these releases in the U.S. are making billions of dollars and you're having actors who maybe made a whopping $900 for the entirety of their voice usage. <clears throat> and that's really, really wild. And this is why a lot of these actors too, it sounds great to get a payday. It sounds great to get paid for your work. We love that. You get to do something that you love and you get paid to do it. Oh my gosh, what a win-win situation. But not only doesn't value you as a performer, it devalues all other performers around you. Right. And it creates this narrative of, I can replace you easily. I could totally put someone in here. Because it's not voice reading, it's voice acting. It is more difficult than it seems. And if you try to get somebody in the booth willy-nilly who's never done it before, it's going to be a challenge. So these people who have dedicated their lives to it too, I just wish the compensation made sense um and sure you can replace an actor in a role right you can have somebody who's a sound alike but it can disconnect you from the character well also frequently and you can speak to this voice actors become the face of whatever it is the mm -hmm. animated game they go to conventions they meet with fans they Absolutely. do photo ops i mean yeah. they suddenly become not just actors that you're doing a recording session for but they mm -hmm. become the face of the show or the property and by by extension the company exactly so and these companies are monetizing those experiences and for the fan base and they're they're sending people to these things and they're allowing them to sign autographs and all that it's a i think it's a big deal and and you know look we have a real problem i think in the entertainment business and i've seen it happen across the board everyone's talent is being devalued and people are getting paid less and less and less oh yeah and i understand that as a producer myself i mean when I'm making a low-budget horror film or something, you want to pay the least amount of money you can because you need the money to make whatever it is you're making. But when you have a, I mean, Bayonetta, she's the lead character of a game called Bayonetta. That is wildly successful. Wildly successful. And it's like, treat her like a star. Give her give her what she's worth. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if it's that, a recording session, even if, even if it was that per recording session, it's not very much money. Yeah. I mean, it's not insubstantial, but it's not a lot of money considering they probably ship a hundred times that on day one. Exactly. And, and ultimately, you're not going to have that many sessions, too. So no. that's an issue. This is also why young voice actors, when somebody wants you in perpetuity, don't sign that. That's when they get to use your voice forever. So I know it might seem like a great payday up front. It is not in the long run for someone to have your voice forever for a couple grand. Well, and there's something else to think about, too, now, is that we've got AI. 
you know, now we have people like James Earl Jones has made a deal to have his voice as Darth Vader. It's been digitized, synthesized, and they can just make Darth Vader say whatever they want him to say now, and it sounds just like Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. You have other people. This is going to become... I think a big deal moving forward because people are going to sell their digital likeness, especially voiceover actors could probably sell their voice for for probably a pretty substantial upfront for sure. payday because they can continue to use those forever. I mean, look at look at uh, uh, Optimus Prime. You know, look at that voice. Who 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 would have thought Peter Cullen comes back and he's like, I didn't know they were going to make a feature length a hundred million, two hundred million dollar Michael Bay movie. Luckily, they went and hired him. Yeah. Brought him back to do the voice of Optimus. That was a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, would they have to do that now? Well, and we do have a long-standing tradition of replacing those voices, right? We have, you know, um, my my friend BZ Collins does a great Optimus Prime. It's a fantastic, fantastic sound alike, um, and that's a really key distinction between an impression and a sound alike. <clears throat> a sound alike, you can say things as that character, and you can say anything. If you think you do a great Goofy, practice doing Samuel L. Jackson's speech from Pulp Fiction as Goofy. Then you can be a sound alike, right? It's the ability to say anything with the integrity of that voice. You look at the Looney Tunes characters. We had Mel Blanc doing that, and now it's Eric Bauza. So we do have people getting replaced. It'll be interesting to see if people do capitalize on trying to do all of that. Yeah, because you think Mel Blanc, if the technology existed, wouldn't have sold his voice rights Ooh. to benefit his family or his estate or whatever? Could have. Could have done it. So hopefully all of this really does boil down to a scheduling issue and then perhaps some miscommunication in here. But it does feel like something rotten is happening in Denmark. You know? But it looks like she's gone. The original Bayonetta is gone. Yep. Jennifer Hale taking on the role of Bayonetta. I'm really interested to see what our fan base has to say about this because it is a very muddy, muddled issue right now. Mm, interesting. <laughs> well, that brings us to another muddied issue. Who's running DC? Yeah. The DCEU. Who's running? We know that the acts of Zaslav swung in such a way that, that DC is being spun off its, into its own studio like Marvel is. And we know that Walter Hamada, somebody who has always impressed me, I always liked Walter Hamada. He knew. He knew the storm clouds were gathering even before the merger between Discovery and Warner Brothers took place. He was planning his exit visa. He was trying to get it all squared away so he could leave Casablanca when the... Uh, when the Nazis came, but um, that's a movie reference from a movie it's a, a long great time ago. Movie. Yeah, there you go. So Walter Hamada is out now. I was, you know, I was really sorry to see him go. I didn't know Walter, but I remember uh, watching him speak at the first DC Fandom, <laughs> and very articulate, very smart guy. Yeah, that first one was so good. It was so good, and and I really appreciated seeing him. And you know, look at that. I mean, he, he's he's somebody that was there when Joker got made. He was there when Aquaman got made. Um, when DC arguably had its greatest successes, that was under Walter Hamada's careful eye, uh, uh, under his watch. And so, obviously, it's, it's interesting. I understand how he was part of the last vestiges of Toby Emmerich's group, and maybe that was a reason, although I think, from what I understand... Walter Hamada was, was was more well-liked by the creatives than, than, say, Toby Emmerich was. But I'm sorry to see him go, to be honest, which leaves DC uh, rudderless until they can find somebody. You know, Dan Lin, they were courting him, and he didn't take the job because why would he? He had a better production company on his own, and yep. they wanted him to get rid of that, ankle that, as we say in the biz. Um, and at the same time, as he leaves... He's gone. We have a movie that he shepherded into existence, Black Adam, opening tomorrow. We're all, This is Wednesday. We're recording this the day before uh, 
Black Adam opens, and as as Dwayne Johnson has been tub thumping on every late night talk show or any talk show or any place he'll 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 they'll let him, which is pretty much everywhere. He's been saying that Black Adam represents either a new door opening, a turning point in the DCEU. They're bringing in the Justice Society of America, which we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. It's still tied to the DCEU. We've got Viola Davis coming back as Amanda Waller. We've got other characters showing up. Obviously, we've talked about it. I mean. Who are we kidding? Yes, Superman, Henry Cavill. Uh, <laughs> opening that door, we still have, we got Shazam coming, we have Aquaman coming, we have The Flash coming, there is a Flash movie coming. Oh, apparently. I think a lot of it is contingent. I mean, for me, it's really interesting that the Rotten Tomato scores on Black Adam are not great, but the critical analysis, there's some really good critic, uh, some of the reviews are pretty good. And everyone I've talked to who's seen the movie thinks Black Adam is pretty good, that it's fun. Kristen Harloff told me that it was a throwback to a, like a 90s action film. Okay. Which is fine with, with me. Uh, you know, you combine modern superheroics with 90s action. I'm like, I'm there for that. Mm-hmm. And I read a really interesting article today about Black Adam as a metaphor for American foreign policy. Ooh. Which I'm like. That's interesting. So, sure, okay, yeah. okay. Especially in the, this day and age that we're living in, you know, martial law has been declared in the annexed territories that were once Ukraine that are now Russia just because Putin said so. Well, what if we sent Black Adam over to there to take care of business? So, I mean, interesting. I, I don't know if you could do that because I'm waiting for a superhero movie to come out where the superheroes, like maybe a Miracle Man, if they ever do Miracle Man, Neil Gaiman is going to come back and finish his run on Miracle Man. But I'm rambling. Let me ask you. I mean, I, I'm i excited to see Black Adam. I'm excited that we do have a Flash movie. We do have a Shazam movie. We do have an Aquaman movie. And we have Folly Adu. Uh, the new Joker movie is being, is, is being made. Mm-hmm. So DC is healthy. But after that, where's the direction headed? Yeah. And I'd like to see. I mean, there is no one else like Kevin Feige. They keep talking about, well, we have to have a Kevin Feige. There isn't anyone. And and I know people say, well, there could be. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because like Liam Neeson's character in Taken, Kevin Feige had a very specific set of skills mm-hmm. that were honed over 14 different Marvel projects before the MCU. Sony Spider-Man, the X-Men, and Daredevil at and Elektra uh, at uh, Fox, Ghost Rider at what, Lionsgate. Mm-hmm. There was all these different things. And Feige saw what worked and what didn't work. I mean, he literally works in a producerial capacity on 14 different Marvel movies, but he's also creative and a geek. He started working for Richard Donner. There's no one like him. So let me ask you, Chris. Can And with the DCEU moving forward, where would you like to see it go? Ooh, man. I just want to see great superhero films. I want to have fun in the cinema, you know? And the the area of concern i have honestly just with black adam is that i have been a little underwhelmed by the trailers but then cautiously optimistic of they're probably just not showing me everything sometimes marvel shows me too much hey dc if you want to you want to keep some things behind the curtain until i'm in that movie theater love that love that but it being so split when we looked at those rotten tomato scores today with a I believe it's now at a 53% at the time of this recording that's not awesome. And sometimes critics get it, get it wrong, right? We talked about this on the main show today where, you know, a lot of the DC popular properties, Aquaman, for example, did not get great critical scores. And I loved it. 
It's fun. It's so and fun. And it was goofy AF. Yeah. Which I was surprised by. It felt to me like I was watching a movie that was made in the 50s. Yeah, but it was a had... balanced goofy, right? Yes. Where we still did have some really big stakes. We had some really great familial moments and turmoil and unjust- injustice. But we had a lot of fun, too. Yeah. And that's what I like And I'm hoping we get that, you know, is that I hope that this really delivers. Dwayne Johnson is a phenomenal, phenomenal movie force. I mean, he's a huge movie star and he's really rallied behind this film. He really believes in it. So I hope it's better than what people are saying. When it comes to the DC universe overall, I'm really hoping that we do find a way to embrace the IP. I feel like a lot of stuff we've done has tried to maybe make things grittier in the past or or you know try to to kind of overlook some of the humanity in the characters right where we're focused on the mask or the cape as opposed to the individual wearing it and i really want us to get down to those individual stories because you know superman at the end of the day is still trying to exist on this plane as a man and connect with people. Bruce Wayne is still struggling with familial issues and identity and PTSD. You know, uh, when you look at even stories about Zatanna, who that film is potentially being shopped around right now after WWE's decided to move on, you know, there's a lot of anguish and guilt uh, about her father. You know, those are the kind of key elements to these stories that I think sometimes we miss to really, really look at the superheroism of things and i think moving forward that's what we need to get back down to is that these are still stories about characters and we need to really focus on the character development maybe not as much the bells and whistles that go along with it i agree and i i think what's interesting too is that is that dc to me i'm not really necessarily interested in a cinematic connective cinematic universe I, i mean aquaman is definitely comes from Zack Snyder casting Jason mm-hmm. Momoa. But the Aquaman film, while it had tenuous connections, they mentioned a few things, it worked on its own. Joker certainly works on its own. And, and of course, we as fans are like, well, when's Batman going to show up? I'm like, I hope never. Like, I don't want to see that iteration of the Joker have Batman in it. I mean, it's a character study of, of where does a character like the Joker even come from? And we don't need, what's he going to do, fight Batman again? We don't mm-hmm. need that. And I don't, like, Black Adam is is irrevocably connected to Shazam. You can't, because they, their powers come from the same dude. Yeah. So you can't, or the same gods. You can't, who channeled through the same dude. But you can't, you can't, you, you, you don't necessarily have to incorporate it all. You can use what you want when you want. Whereas the continuity of the MCU has been built up for a long time. But, but I think DC can have sliding continuity. Call it that. If you want characters to interact in a movie, they can. But that doesn't mean that that movie, like a James Bond movie, there's not really continuity. But if you want to have, sometimes Bernard Lee is going to play M in in a lot of movies. Sometimes Colin Salmon will show up and he'll be in the Pierce Brosnan movies. And then he's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you should be able to do that if they establish that. Like, I'd love to see Black Adam fight Henry Cavill. Or if they don't do that, if we get a Superman movie, bring in a writer-director like a Chris McQuarrie who's worked with Cavill. I would love to see Superman do that Henry Cavill thing from Fallout where he goes... The arm reload? Yeah. I mean, I would love to see the arm reload. That's exactly right. I'd love to see that if if we could get it. I mean, I think just treat it pre-crisis, right? Right. So we have infinite Earths. We can just do that. They all can be in their own pocket universes. Continuity is fun. It's really cool when we see a group come together. When Avengers assemble, oh my gosh, what an iconic moment. But do I need that to enjoy 
individual comic book stories? Absolutely not. No. I can have fun exactly in that world with exactly those <clears throat> characters as they interact with each other. Yeah, I, I completely agree because I, I'm not going to sit there and fret like, where's the Justice Society been yeah. in Zack Snyder's universe? I mean, the Batman is so good. It's so fun. And I don't want anyone popping in there. No. I want that to just be, this is this is their thing. I do think, however, that they do need, the, the problem with, with the entire Zack Snyder era at Warner Brothers is the Warner executives were too worried about their AT and T merger? They were they're they're never their minds on where they were, huh? what mm-hmm. they were doing. Um, that's terrible. That's a Kermit the Frog via Yoda. I don't know what the hell say, that, that was. Their baby. That was I don't know what that was, but um, terrible. I, as clearly, I'm not the voiceover artist on camera here. That's okay. Um, you can sign up for classes. <laughs> and where can I sign up for classes? You can go to my website, speakfriendstudio.com or EEB Studios, who I partner with. Wink. That's a real studio, by the yeah. way. She can teach you. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I just would like to see strong DC adaptations. I Hell mean, yeah. I'd love to see an adaptation of Kingdom Come with Black Adam, with the Shazam and Mar- Marvel family, with Superman and the remaining Justice League and new yeah. characters. You could do it, but you'd need somebody at the studio with a strong vision of how to do it and who should make it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chuck Rovin's the guy to physically produce it. But you've got to find a visionary to be able to pull it off. And the studio, they got in the middle. What's interesting is they got in the middle of David Ayer and they they blinked at Zack Snyder's vision for these characters. They all loved Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice when it was being made. Nobody had a problem. Standing ovation in the room. You know, but then they had to, out. you got to, we have to edit it down. And Zack Snyder's like, well, okay, because I did three versions of Watchmen and then it underperforms. Yep. But you need, and then they recut David Ayer's Suicide Squad for whatever reason because they're second guessing. When the studio executives are second guessing themselves, that's when you've lost. You need decisive studio executives that know what they want. They stand behind their filmmakers. They work in tandem with them and knock it out of the park. Hopefully, that's, that's what it's we'll supposed see. To go. Speaking of knocking it out of the park, let's talk about the devil. Let's talk about <laughs> Old Scratch. Hell yeah! You know, uh, he's a man of wealth and taste. Yeah, he is. He was around when Pontius Pilate, you know, Jesus had his moment of doubt and pain. Mm -hmm. I love that song. Just so you know, one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs, Sympathy for the Devil. So good. I have it. Let's talk Mephisto. Everyone, since WandaVision, Mephisto has been everywhere. Yes. Now, Chris, the cosmology of the Marvel Universe, the MCU, is already weird enough for me now as it is. (laughs) Uh, But you're talking the devil? Yeah. We can barely, we, we just got Man-Thing and, and, and Werewolf by Night, and we don't have much, and we're going to get Agatha Harkness, but mm-hmm. we had Agatha, and we know she's hundreds of years old, but now you're going to introduce the devil? We haven't even dealt with Celestials, or the Egyptian gods that are eating souls on the streets of Cairo. Tell us about Mephisto, Chris. Oh, man. Who better to deal with these things than a hell lord? Because that is the distinction. He is not Lucifer himself. He is one of the many lords yes, of that's hell. that's true. An extra-dimensional demon. So, so fun. Um, Mephisto mostly is around for corrupt, uh, dealing with corrupt human souls and enticing them and tempting them. So a lot of the um, kind of Judeo-Christian values that we associate with Lucifer are put into Mephisto. So very, very cool character who often has dealt with characters like the Silver Surfer, um, um, with uh, Doctor Strange. So we have Mephisto mostly interacting with celestial beings and the more macabre, in the comics at least. So it's going to be really cool to see how this character weasels their way into the MCU, potentially through Ironheart. Well, now, Ironheart in the comics has dealt with mystical energies, yep. magics before, these kinds of things. So it's not 
it's not out of the realm like uh, at first some people might think wait what but if you look into Riri Williams history there there is there is sort of precedent there I'm curious if Mephisto does in fact show up and if Mephisto's I actually really like the idea of Sasha Baron Cohen love it playing Mephisto because I would like to go back and posit that the single greatest depiction of a devil-like character in cinema history is in Ridley Scott's, I want to say 1986, Legend, the Tom Cruise mm. movie, where oh. Tim Curry plays Darkness. That was a full, that was Rob Bottin doing full-body prosthetics. Mm -hmm. It is, to this day, I think, the greatest full-body prosthetic makeup. Oh, it's killer. It's unbelievable. And um, I'd love to see Mephisto portrayed that way. And Sasha Baron Cohen has that kind of face that could work. If you, if you, if you haven't seen Legend, there, there, there you go. That is Tim Curry as Darkness. Now, I mean, come on. So good. I mean, there's no more perfect voice. No. For Darkness. No, I mean, but, so good. But, but Sasha Baron Cohen could do something. Now, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. The way this is lit, this is a uh, this these uh, uh this is believable. I mean, look at that full body prosthesis. Mm -hmm. I mean, my God, does that that still looks great? And you're looking at something that is is over 35 years old. Amazing. It's so good. I would love to see a depiction of Mephisto on screen like Tim Curry's Darkness. Mm -hmm. Not not a CG version like Thanos. But a practical. But a practical, yes. Especially when you have an actor like a Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Because motion capture, I mean, again, can they make it work? Don't know. It's still tough to make it work. When you have a living, breathing demon with you, though, that's so different, right? It's Think about when we're looking at the Lord of the Rings franchise. When you're looking at the original three films that we watched, when you have those practical effects, those practical creatures and orcs and Urukai around, yeah. killer. So terrifying. When we switch then to seeing some CGI goblins and such, a little less terrifying. Well, that, I think that was one of the big problems with The Hobbit. Yes, I agree. So you, you there's something distancing. But again, it's really difficult to pull off. Mm -hmm. Great makeup effects rely so much on great lighting. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that don't know how to light practical creatures anymore because everyone's so reliant on CG. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, look, you look at uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean, Bill Nye's, the, the Davy Jones. Oh, incredible. Unbelievable. And that was a combination of using, putting, literally putting l CG makeup effects, yep. practical makeup effects, turning them CG and putting them on a person. But I would, but let me ask you this. Again, how do you think Mephisto would fit into the MCU? Well, I mean, honestly, for Ironheart, I was joking this morning of, you know, if it's a tale of potential corporate greed and such, I feel like that's a great place for corruption. Right. And we don't see Mephisto as Mephisto. We see it more in that kind of Sauron kind of way of a deceiver, of someone who is manipulating people. And then there's the big reveal of them being a hell lord. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I go back to the devil's advocate with Al Pacino. Yeah. One of my, f I love The Devil's Advocate. If you guys haven't seen it, Keanu Reeves, Charlie's Theron. Phenomenal film. It's such a Phenomenal. great movie. Directed by Keanu's Taylor Hackford. Um, and, you know, Mephisto's popped up in weird ass stories throughout Marvel. I mean, One More Day, which maybe that'll be an issue at some point because, bleh, of I want your marriage. Why? Uh -huh. Why, Mephisto? Why do you want their marriage? What the heck? He's just a destroyer of He joy. is. Aunt May lived a great long life. Come on. Whatever. That Yeah, that story, that was a really interesting way because Spider-Man grounded, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is now dealing with the Hell Lord. Yeah. 
and changing his life. And we couldn't kill another potential bride. We had to just go, hey, we already, you know, fridged Gwen Stacy. MJ, we're just going to have this dissolve. All right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Although I could see, you know what, Sasha Baron Cohen, maybe it's funny. It didn't occur to me the way you put it, though. You could see him playing that Al Pacino-esque buttoned up business band, power suits. I think and be then killer. doing the physical makeup mm-hmm. at the end. I mean, I think something like that could work. I work would love that really, really well. But now, let me ask you this: Right now, it's just a rumor. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Sasha Baron Cohen is going to play Mephisto in Ironheart? You know, it's one of those things of somebody on set talked to another person who heard it from someone, and their mom said. So I'm not giving this rumor a lot of weight, but I think there's a little smoke here. All right. All right. I can get a little sulfur. <laughs> well, you'll smell. Oh, you won't smell. That. I won't smell it. You won't smell yeah. that. That's too bad. Well, listen. That brings us to the point of the show where you and I are going to talk about our issues. Yeah. But before we do that. We have a word from our sponsor. Who is our sponsor today? Oh, gosh. The great folks over at Masterclass. Check them out, y'all. Hey, guys. We want to take a second to thank the sponsor of this video, Masterclass. You guys know we have been sponsored by Masterclass, and we love them here at the John Campia Show for giving us in-depth information on a wide variety of topics from the world's best experts. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn the art of filmmaking from James Cameron, improve your cooking skills from Gordon Ramsay, or learn how to make compelling YouTube videos from Marquise Brownlee. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is close closer than you think. I was recently watching through the independent filmmaking course by Spike Lee, and I found it fascinating that not only did he cover the broader topics like working with actors, but he also gets into finer details like working with a cinematographer and how to properly audition a DP for your project. It was fascinating. So guys, I highly recommend that you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as a John Campius Show listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia now. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off Masterclass. And thanks to our friends at Masterclass for sponsoring issue six of The Weekly Hero, which now brings us to you and I. To our issues. To our issues. We have many of them. Yeah. Uh, But this time we actually have a 13 13 issue issue to talk about. A story that that took place over an entire year plus Mm -hmm. a month. The Long Halloween by Loeb and Sale. Yes. Uh, They were following up three Halloween specials from Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And they gave us The Long Halloween, which is a story set right after sort of Batman year one early in his career. Yeah, and is very influenced by that, too, because it's the sort of approach of Harvey Dent's year one. How do we explore that when, when Gotham still believes in Harvey Dent? And and they did, and and mm-hmm. of course, you know, you brought up something about this. this I think this is a terrific run from Batman. I love the artwork. You know, I have the absolute edition. I forgot to bring it in with me, but it's on that matte finish Ooh. and sales artwork. I mean, you the book it smells so good. I hadn't opened it up in years. And I'm like, mm. that's the only thing I'm bummed I can't smell. Everyone always talks about how great new books or just like loved books have this like wonderful, wonderful smell. And that's the one where I'm like, that's the thing I miss. Well, his artwork, I mean, obviously this is a great, this comes early on, I think in the second issue, maybe the second issue when Batman confronts 
Selena, Selena Kyle is Catwoman. I mean, look at this dynamic art. I'm a huge fan of Tim Sale's art. It's very stylized, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's so cinematic. And this is, it very much leans into noir. Yes. Uh, like 40s noir, but it really gets into the Batman underworld. And the fact that you do have, it's a mystery. There is a villain mm -hmm. named Holiday who is killing people over the course of, well, holidays. Yeah. We don't know who that person is. So you've got a mystery, you've got a serial killer story, you've got Batman, and as you see the development of the rogues gallery, so, prototype so rogues. So good, yes. Before they're all like super villains. Oh man, the design for Ivy in this particularly oh. is so good and otherworldly. Her hair is just all these different leaves. Oh, it's so amazing. And you know what? It really does make, I, I reread it to talk about it today, mm -hmm. and, and it really is a great Halloween story too. Because it deals with masks we all wear. Yes. And literally, I mean, it, when it begins, Harvey Dent is basically the Harvey Dent in the Dark Knight. Yep. He, you know, he's a crusading, law-abiding, you know, lawyer out there fighting the good fight. And then not so much by the end of the, uh, yeah, by the, end of the run. Yeah, once you get acid on your face, things change. It changes. Things take a turn. But what a great comic this is. What are some of the things that struck you about this? Well, I actually had the privilege of being at Comic-Con right after The Dark Knight came out, and I went to a panel with Jeff Loeb, and he was talking about, hey, did you guys like the, uh, the Long Halloween? I mean, The Dark Knight? Did you enjoy that film? That is so very clearly influenced by my work. And it was, it, it's true. Even the latest Batman, right? The Batman pulls from this so much. And it makes sense because this is a wonderful story. If you were going to have a Batman omnibus on your shelf, this is the one. Oh, yeah. This is the one. It's so good. Tim Sale's art is incredible. I mean, just this literal two-faced image here is so great. His color palette in this, too, with all of the blues and blacks and grays with pops of purple throughout or little hints of orange or using light because there's this whole big positive-negative space thing that's so very clearly Tim Sale's signature art that I love in this. And it still feels like a comic book. It just doesn't feel like, you know, your typical kind of Herbie or Lee kind of work, right? Right, no. It's, it's so stylized, but still so feels so Batman and feels dangerous. Like the way Joker's teeth are, these moments with the mob, there's, there's an imminent threat on every page just because of the angles, texture, and color used. It's so cool. And then Loeb's storytelling is just phenomenal in this, too. You have this very pulp murder mystery. You know, you're telling a serial killer story, and that's what's great DC so storytelling is. It's a serial killer story, a murder mystery, political intrigue, mob intrigue that happens to have a detective who wears a cape. Absolutely. This is really, this leans into the detective nature of Batman. Hard. I also love that this opened, I don't know why this made me chuckle. Like, Car I think it's Carmine Falcone. He's trying to get Bruce Wayne to help him launder money to make, and, and it was such a funny thing to me because, like, we forget that within the universe, within the proscenium of the comics, no one knows Bruce Wayne's Batman. Yeah, he's, he's a idiot playboy yes and it was so fun to read i love the way bat bruce wayne is portrayed in this in particular and his interactions with characters that don't know he's batman mm -hmm. and i really loved uh, and i forgot how because i read this when it came out in 96 and 97 mm -hmm. originally and then i bought the absolute version and read it then but i probably hadn't read this comic in 20 years Oh really? Yeah, I mean, I I hadn't read it in a long, long, long oh, time, and and I have. And by the way, there are many different versions of this comic that you can buy. Yes, there's a deluxe edition. If I don't know if it's still in print or you can find it 
I love DC Absolute Editions. They're expensive, but and they come in a slipcase. This comes in a slipcase. Mm-hmm. The Absolute Edition of this, the the paper, the paper stock is so thick and heavy, and it's all this matte finish. It was it was very. Maybe I'm telling too much, too many things about myself, but it was very <laughs> fetishistic to have. And I'm, I, as I turned the page, it just felt good. Like I, I really liked having this in my hand. Books are a tactile experience, though. Yeah. Because we've talked about this. Of if I need to look at something for reference on this tablet, I'm so disappointed of just right. swiping through it. Of no, I don't want this experience. Well, it was funny because the great thing about Absolute Editions is they're way oversized. Mm-hmm. And so the artwork pops and and some people complain because they do some recoloring like in the Swamp Thing comics, which I disagree with. I love the recoloring. But this, the Absolute version of this is, it's it's absolutely worth it. If it costs a yeah. hundred bucks, go to, go to cheapgraphicnovels.com. By the way, they didn't sponsor this. I always go there though. If I want to get them, you can find cheap, cheap graphic novels, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're brand new. They're not like used, um, but this is worth getting in that format. And I just think oh, yeah. this is a quintessential. If you're a Batman fan and you you've never read a Batman comic, this is not something a newbie can pick this up. This is usually my gateway drug one for folks. Oh, it is. Of if they're hey, if I were to read a Batman comic, oh my gosh, you need to read the Long Halloween. You need to read that, and then we get into Dark Victory, and we go from there. Yeah, because there that. are sequels yeah. to this. There's a Catwoman sequel. When in Rome, so good. So Beautiful good. art. Oh. oh, it's so good. And again, for the season, we've we've got we've got about 12 days before yeah. Halloween comes. If there's any time to read the long Halloween, it's now. It's this, uh, every October, and we realized when we were prepping for this, Logan and I lent out our copy to oh. someone, and- Kaiser Sose, never have seen it again, apparently. Um, and then my other copies in Texas with my mom, so I need to go get one. And I'm probably going to spring for the Absolute because it's worth it. The Absolute is worth it. I mean, it, it's first of all, it's heavy. Well, it, and it's it, no one it, can steal that from me now. No, no. I'll and see it, that on their it, coffee it, table and be like, motherfucker. Bring it that looks back. great. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, I really loved. There's no better way to experience Tim Sale's art. So, would you say that we're in agreement? Like we are, we're not, we're not on either side of it. You know, we're today? we're five or six, and I won you over on the whole clone saga, talking about Kane to an extent. To an extent. To an extent, you understood my point of view. A section of the clone yes. saga. Yeah, it's uh, mostly trash. But, but that's know. why that's why we get along. I think you so. know you can co- coerce me, convince me. However, I'll usually yeah. come around to your way of thinking and you know we don't have to like all the same things because life would be incredibly boring if that were the case i just wonder when i decide to bring in something like howard chicken's black kiss what you're going to think of that comic. i haven't read that uh, i i don't think i would uh recommend you do i, I love howard chicken's work i don't know if you dig black yeah. kiss actually you know what you would dig dig black kiss but i don't think we should talk about it on the show okay is it going to be like up there of like our issue today is lost girls and people will be like no 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 oh well lost girls <laughs> is at least a fairy tale that's fair so there you go. We'll figure out. We'll find some stuff that we both. So Jeff Loeb, Tim Sales, The Long Halloween, both thumbs up on that? Two thumbs way, way up. Way, way up. Yeah. All right. And for you people, if you've never read a Batman comic, The Long Halloween, which was actually originally 13 comics collected together, is a quintessential Batman comic experience. Speaking of quintessential experiences, let's make it all about me. Yay! And my love of hot toys. I have a Star Wars hot toy today. I have a hot toy of a character. Not a character, but uh, I guess another droid. Not an astromech droid. Not a protocol droid. A different kind of a droid. And this one lights up. So here's today's hot toys segment, which doesn't have a name. All right, everybody. I am here with the Viceroy of Verisimilitude, the Bishop of Banterbury, 
and the Sultan of Sugar Daddies. Rob, Ooh. what do you have for us today? Uh, this is a Dark Trooper from, we first saw these in The Mandalorian. This is a Hot Toys Dark Trooper. Obviously, you can see it has two light-up sections. There's batteries in the head and batteries in the back uh, opposite these lights in the chest. Uh, I think this is a very cool figure. Um, it's pretty articulated. It's got uh, very solid joints. And of course, you know, you can buy multiple versions of this to have in your collection. It's a formidable Imperial droid. Uh, I wouldn't want to run afoul of these, but this is, this is you know, I, I think Hot Toys, they do lots of things where they don't have to pay the licensing rights for a face sculpt, and then they do a pretty good job it's a little fragile with the parts, but they've also made this so they're gonna release other figures in the future where you can actually add to this and the weapon can be locked onto its leg. Um, this is just a very cool figure. And look, you can uh, never have enough. <laughs> I oh, mean. Can I ask how much does something like this cost? I think this was like 250 bucks, I think. It's about that. I mean, standard Hot Toys price, but they don't have to pay the licensing fee on these, but it does have the light up feature, which I think is pretty badass, as you can see. Um, there are six different watch batteries. There's three in the head and three in the, the back of the chest. You put the batteries, you take that off, and then you take the back off here. And uh, I just think it's a great, it's a very cool figure. And you know what? It plays into my love of samurai, I mean, the Japanese influence on the armor of Star Wars has always been there, whether it's Vader, whether it's Stormtroopers, whether it's this now, the Dark Trooper. Um, but I'll tell you, Hot Toys certainly makes, they make Shore Troopers, they make Stormtroopers, they make Sand Troopers. Um, I think these are always kind of a license to print money because if you're a Star Wars fan, you can never just have one of these bad boys. I only have one of these bad boys, but let me tell you, uh, if I had extra disposable income and I wasn't so mortgage poor, I might want to get like six of these guys, um, set up some kind of a diorama, but it's a very fun figure to have. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked by this guy. I just, I'd never actually taken him out of the box until, um, until I took him out to do this video, Taylor. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting to stroke him for the first time. Although I really shouldn't touch him without gloves because he's so shiny. I'm sure I've left fingerprints all over them. The, the, um, this pops off, this back piece pops off here. If I can pop it off, let's see, can I pop it off? Yeah. So the batteries, here's one of the battery packs there. And then also this comes off oh, wow. and the other battery pack is in here. So you can turn off uh, the light feature there because these watch batteries, they burn out very, very quickly. So there it is without the features on. And as you can see, uh, great looking figure. I really love this guy. So basically what you're saying is if you wanna frame someone for murder, have them touch your dark trooper. Yeah, that's right. Cause you'll leave fingerprints behind and I'll know exactly who you are. So if you ever get a chance to touch my toys, don't do it. Cause I'll know. Well, I will know too. I mean, let's face it, I will know. Uh, I, there's only certain toys I let other people touch and um, you know, what can I say? What it's kind not, of toys, Rob? As long as they're not hot toys. Let's say that. Although some people they are called, kind of hot. Oh, come on now. Groans from Ray. Yes, nailed it. <laughs> I, I have six scale uh, arcade 
arcade games like Tempest and Centipede oh. and Qbert. Okay. And 1943. You can touch those. Okay. Because they're playable. That makes sense. There you go. And I even have a six scale change machine that has six scale quarters. What? Yeah, I know. That's cute. I know. Aw. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of issue six sure of does, the bud. Weekly Hero. Yeah. What do you think next week will bring us? Do you know? Oh, man. We're going to have to find... We need to find a divisive issue. I want you to bring in something that you think I'm going to hate. Wow, okay. I want us to fight, man. Give the people what they want. Wow, the thing is, though, I, I have a feeling it'd be tough to find something... We like that you so would, much of the same stuff. Yeah, and plus, you know, you don't kink shame. So I would bring yeah. you something and you'd, be, you'd try and figure out why I like this. You know, different strokes for different folks. Well, we'll try and find out which stroke is good for the two of us or not next week here on episode seven of The Weekly Hero. Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at actor Chris Carr on Instagram or Twitter, or you can go to speakfriendstudio.com. I teach voiceover lessons if you're interested in that. We have a boot camp coming up too for Intro to VO in November. One day, four hours, everything you need to know about introductions to voiceover. Go check it out. And I'm Robert Meyer Burnett. You can find me on Instagram at RM Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on YouTube at Post Geek Singularity. I want to thank the great Ray Ora for doing today's graphics. I want to thank Taylor Gonzalez for moral support and Jonathan Voico for producing today's issue of The Weekly Hero. Yay, team! See you next week.